So um, before we jump into Romans, can we kind of set up the conversation we're going to have this morning? Uh, you know, when, when I was in grad school, I went to grad school to be a therapist. And, you know, a part of being a therapist is trying to help people experience change and growth in their life. And so when I was in grad school, we would talk often about, hey, how does a person change? Like, what does it take to make a person really experience growth and really experience the change they want? We had all kinds of conversations around that. And I had one, one professor, he was our oldest professor, and he was that professor that always just would throw out these like wise one-liners that would just kind of hit you and you'd have to chew on it for like four days before you understood what he even meant, you know, and uh, his name was Dr. Lou Moore, just an amazing man of God. And I remember one day uh, we're talking about how people experience change and he, he gives us this statement. He says, you know, the clearest view you get of a person is through their paradox. And I remember being like, mm, that's really wise. Wait, what? What does that even mean? I didn't know what to do with that and I had to chew on it. And he kept bringing it back up. And I, I began to realize that there was truth in what he said. I just had to dig a little bit to get to it. And here's what he was saying. He said, you know, when someone's seeking change, sometimes the clearest view you get of where they need to start doing some work is in the paradoxes, in the contradictions that they live. And you know, we all walk in these contradictions, right? He said, for example, say someone comes into your office, Aaron, and they say, hey, I'm really unhappy. I, I want to be in shape. I want to be healthy. And yet I, I, I eat horribly. I, I never go to the gym. I never work out. I spend way too much time on my couch. It's like, wait a minute, there's tension there, right? Like, I want to be in shape, but this is these are the things that I do. Those things don't line up. There's a paradox. He would say, bingo, right there is kind of the open window of where you're looking for where that person needs to experience change. He said, or take for example, somebody comes in and they say, yeah, I'm just, I'm lonely, I'm unhappy, I really want I really want to be in a relationship. I want to be married and have a family. And yet you start talking and they say, yeah, I never, I never really reply to the dates that I'm asked out on, or I never take any initiative to pursue this, or before I go on a date, I've pretty much already convinced myself that this person's not gonna work out for me. It's like, wait, <laughs> those things don't line up. There's paradox there. And my professor was saying, hey, this is the clearest view you get of where change is needed. You know, last week I was in a conversation with a friend of mine who's a pastor in another state. And as I was talking with him, uh, we were just checking in on how things were going. And I asked him, it's a question that I find myself asking people a lot now. I just said, hey, I said, hey, Jeff, what, what do you think God is doing in the church right now? What is God trying to accomplish? And I'll never forget what he said. He said it just so quickly. Like I could tell he'd been seeking the Lord on this. He just said, he said, I don't think God's doing two things simultaneously and they feel like they're at odds with each other and immediately got my attention. He said, on the one hand, I feel like God is weaning the church off of our dependence on a certain style of gathering on a Sunday. Mm. He said, but then on the other hand, it seems like God's raising our awareness of our need to be together. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. Like God is, God is pruning us or weaning us of the way we like to be together, and yet God is awakening us to our need to be together. It's like, wait, that seems paradoxical. And I went, oh, wait a minute. I immediately thought of Dr. Moore. I thought, oh, there's something there. There's a clear view of what God is trying to do. And I don't know if you've felt that tension. I know I felt it this year. I felt this, man, I, I long to be together at one of our venues. I long to worship at the cannery. And yet that has been pruned off of us. And our ability to rely on that for how we exist as the church has been taken away from us. And right in the middle of that, I've thought, man, I need to be together with God's people. And I keep hearing this in my conversations with people across our church. We need it. And I believe that right there in the middle of that paradox, in the middle of that tension, there is an invitation that God is extending to us. I believe that God is speaking to us, his people. He's an extending an invitation to say, to remind us 
to remind us, guys, that we, we were called and invited not just to go to church, but to be the church. And I know this is so simple, right? Like we've, we've said this many times before that, hey, we're not, you know, church isn't a place you go. It's something that we are. But guys, I believe there's something unique that God is doing this year that he's trying to awaken us to that reality that we are to be the church. We are not just to go to the church. And we're going to look into Romans 12 and see what that invitation actually entails. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Let's read. We're going to read the first eight verses here. Starting in verse 1, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians scattered across the city of Rome in the first century. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's leading, then lead diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord out of Romans 12. You know, man, there is so much in this passage. There's so much. In fact, uh, uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor in the early uh, 1900s, he, he preached 10 sermons just on the first two verses of this chapter. <laughs> 10 sermons on two verses, and I've got 20 minutes. So we're going to see how much we can get into this. We're not going to be able to take a deep dive into every single verse, but I believe there's something specific that God wants to speak to us from this chapter. Remember, we're talking about, man, the tension. God is pruning us of our dependence on a certain type of gathering, and he's raising our awareness of our need for one another and the invitation to be the church. I believe it starts with this. Paul will look at these Christians and he'll say, listen, first and foremost, just remember that you are a body. You're a body that the church, the people of Jesus, we are a body a living and vital and vibrant organism, guys. This is who we are. I think Paul is going to look at us in the church. If you were writing this to us and you say, hey, guys, as a church, you are not an institution. You are not a charitable organization. You are not a building or any kind of place that you can drive to or walk to. You are not a gathering that meets on Sundays defined by six songs and a sermon and an offering. You are not any kind of event whatsoever, but you are a body, alive, vibrant, living, a body. This is who we are as the church. It's just who we are. And I love what Paul says here. He says, listen, you are one body, that though you are many, you are one body. That though there are many of you, you actually just make up one body. I think this is just so important. You know, Paul, like I said, he was writing to Christians. See if this sounds familiar. 
who across an urban area, they could not meet in one large gathering space, many scholars believe, because there weren't places big enough to hold all of them. So, so they met where? In one another's homes all around the city. This was the way that they gathered, not in one large collection together. And yet Paul would say, listen, although you're many, although there's many house churches, although there's many individuals, you are still one body. They did not stop functioning as one body just because they could not all be together in the same room at the same time. They continued to function as the body. Guys, I believe that God is doing something in his church, not just at Ethos, but across our nation, around the world, God is doing something within his church where no longer do we find our identity based upon the building that we drive to on a Sunday, but based on the name of Jesus that has been put up on us because we put our faith in the risen Lord and Savior. That is who we are. We are not defined by a place. We are not restricted to where we gather. But guys, we are one body. It's almost like it's like the, the, the people of God have started to clump together and God has shaken us down. So we start to see, oh, no, 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 we are actually just one big body. It's who we are. So Paul will say, you are a body. And although there are many of you, you are one. And I love what he's going to keep doing. He goes beyond verse 4 and 5 where he talks about being one body with many members. He's going to say, hey, each member of this body, each part of this body has its function to serve within the body. Listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace, listen, given to each of us. Did you catch that? He says, he says we, have, we have different gifts according to the grace. It's not given to some of us. It's not given to a few of us. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You, the one sitting, watching the screen as part of the body of Jesus, did you know that you have gifts divinely appointed to you by the grace of Jesus to build up the body of Christ, to encourage those who are down, to lift up, to spur on, to reach out to those far from Jesus? You have been given unique gifts divinely suited for your life. Guys, this is the truth. You know, the reality is many of us as American Christians, we, we've spent the majority of our Christian life sitting on a pew or a chair in a worship gathering, just taking in what is being given to us on a Sunday morning worship gathering. We've just been taught, we've been trained to think that, yeah, church, me being church means I show up, I sit down, I consume a good sermon, I consume a good worship experience, and that's what makes me a follower of Jesus so that I can go out and be a nice person throughout the rest of the week. But guys, this is not what we were made for. And right now, as the, this thing that we prefer has been stripped away from us, the only place that we've known to go and claim our Christianity, this chair, this pew that we sit on, has been stripped away from us, and now we're left not knowing what to do. It's because we didn't know that we were designed to contribute, not to consume. You were designed to contribute. You are more than a consumer. You are, a, you, you are part of a movement. Mm -hmm. You were called to that, and you've been given everything you need to be a part of it. You know, I remember when I was 23 years old, I, I broke my leg. I broke my, both bones in my lower right leg. And uh, uh, the doctor told me I needed surgery to make sure my foot would be straight. I was a poor grad student. I thought I had insurance and I didn't. Eh, long story there. So I ended up, I ended up there like, yeah, we can't do the surgery. Sorry, you can't afford it. So we're gonna do the best we can with a cast. So they casted my leg, literally from my toe up to my hip. I had this gigantic cast on for like a month. They took off the big cast. This is when I started dating my wife, Amy. That was pretty hilarious. She had to do everything for me. I couldn't do anything. I was pathetic. So then she takes off the big cast and they put on this lower leg cast 
cast. It just went up to my knee. And I had that on for two months. So for three months, I could not really use my right leg the way it was meant to be used. Man, when they took that cast off my right leg at the end of three months, I mean, my everything below my knee, it looked like a PVC pipe, man. White <laughs> and about this big around, just straight down. It was like the scrawniest thing you've ever seen. And here's the deal, my calf muscle on that leg, it just completely forgot how to work, forgot how to function, it had completely atrophied. You know, I had to retrain my calf muscle. I had to go to physical therapy and retrain it for how to function properly. It had to remember that it has to work in conjunction with my knee and in conjunction with my quads and my hamstrings. It has to work in conjunction with my other calf to be able to move my body forward, to help me to jump, to help me to do all the things. It had to relearn how to do those things because it had atrophied sitting inside of a cast, not able to do the very thing it was designed to do. And guys, here's the reality. I'm convinced that the cast has been ripped off of the American church and there are many muscles that are sitting atrophied and we've just forgotten that we were made for more. You were made for more than sitting in a cast of a Sunday morning worship gathering. You were made to function, to thrive, to help move the body of Christ into what he's called us to. This is the truth of who you are. You were called to this. I love when you look at the nature of the gifts that Paul talks through. You know, I think sometimes we start thinking, oh, spiritual gifts. Yeah, yeah, those are those things that we use when we gather on a Sunday morning to make it a better experience for everybody. You know, it's like, but you'd start looking at the spiritual gifts that Paul lists. Yeah, I mean, the first one is, is prophecy. We don't really know what to do with that one. But here, let me just tell you very succinctly, is that prophecy is simply when someone who is called by God to hear from God for the sake of somebody else, they step into that and they practice listening and they practice sharing what it is that God has put in their heart. And God does this a lot. But a lot of us, a lot of you, I believe, God has actually stirred up this gift in you and, and we just don't know. We've never flexed that muscle of learning to listen to God's voice for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But he doesn't just stop with prophecy. He goes on to serving. What if all the only place we ever served was on a Sunday morning? <laughs> or he goes on to encouraging. He's like, yeah, your gift, that's, a, that's a gift of the Spirit, like to be able to encourage. What if we only did that on Sunday mornings? What if we only exercised the gift of leadership in a Sunday morning gathering at a church? No, don't you see the picture that Paul is painting? He's saying, listen, these gifts are designed to be used in the entirety of your life, Sunday to Saturday, 24-7. These gifts are yours to be used. You know, I, I think about just how, how crazy it would be. Imagine, imagine a surgeon. I mean, this example is so ridiculous, it doesn't even make sense, but I think it captures the picture of what we're dealing with in the church sometimes. Think about a surgeon who, they make their living, their gift is in their hands to be able to impart life to somebody in the operating room. What if they walked out of the operating room and just put their arms behind their back and they used their feet to drive home and they got home and they required somebody else to serve them all the time and they're like, hey, what are you doing? Well, these hands are only used for the operating room. That's what they're made for. They only function there. Outside of there, they don't get any use anymore. It's like, no, that'd be ridiculous. Or if a student came out of a classroom and put a blindfold on, is walking around running into trees and they can't ride a bike and they can't drive a car. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, well, my eyes, they're just made for reading and studying and listen, you know, paying attention to what my professor is presenting me. No, your eyes were meant for so much more than that. Guys, the, the gifts that Christ has given us, they were not ever meant to be limited to us gathering on a Sunday morning. He has given them for the purpose of the body that 24-7 the movement of Jesus would be advanced through his faithful servants who are laying their lives down for his glory. This is what we're called to. You know, I love this, the gifts that you have. They are yours, but they are not for your good. Did you know that? They are your gifts that Christ through his grace has given to you, but they are not for your good. They have been given to you to use as a roommate 
towards that difficult roommate. They've been given to you to use as a friend for the friend that needs somebody. They've been given to you to use as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a brother, as a sister, as a son, as a daughter, as a coworker, as an employee, as an employer, as a customer. God has given you these gifts to be used and leveraged for the sake of those around you in your life. This is why we've been given gifts as a body to be able to function in every moment of our lives, in every moment. Guys, I, I, I keep getting this question over and over again, like, hey, when, when is, um, when's Ethos gonna start back up? Or hey, when's Ethos gonna open back up? Guys, guys, Ethos never stopped. Guys, ethos never closed. You can't restart that which never stopped. You can't reopen that which never closed. No, the church has been functioning in its fullness this entire time, and it's what we're called to do. We will not be defined by what we do on a Sunday morning. That is not what God has called us to. He's called us to love God, love people, and awaken a movement, and a movement cannot be contained within four walls. Guys, we're called to more. We're called to more. The gifts you have, they were given so that the Christians in your life may be built up. They were given so that those far from Christ might get to see Christ through the way that you leverage your life in every moment. You know, the church hasn't stopped because when a body stops, what happens to it? Think about it, when a body stops, when a heart stops circulating the blood, when the lungs stop breathing, when the mind stops working, what happens to a body? It dies. Guys, this is not the trajectory of God's people on earth. We serve a risen king, a risen Lord, and we move forward in hope that we too will rise. The church is not going anywhere. The church has not stopped. The church thrives on the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And guys, that is why we will keep moving. We will keep moving. You know, Paul's language at the very beginning of Romans 12 is really helpful for us to grasp what he's talking about here. He says at the very beginning, he says, hey, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. (laughs) Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, there's so much in that sentence. In fact, the original sermon I wrote just just was out of that verse. Uh, But very quickly, what I want want you to see from this is that what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, we are to live these lives as living sacrifices. We're to lay down our lives for others. And guys, the picture that he's painting is not one of a spe- specific place where an altar is, where you lay down your life. No, it's, it's this ongoing holistic approach to understanding life that all of your life is an altar. All of your life is meant for the good of others and to the glory of God. And he says, and what he says is this really interesting phrase. He says, this is your, is your um, true and proper worship. Some of your Bibles might say spiritual act of worship. Some of your Bibles uh, might say reasonable act of worship. You know, that word there that's translated spiritual, true and proper, reasonable, the Greek word is logikos. And what it means is logical, reasonable. What Paul is saying is, guys, the only reasonable response when you fix your eyes on who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us is for us to keep laying down our lives in every moment for the good of those around us and for the glory of his name. This is what we're called to. Now, this is not supposed to sound confining or like restricting or burdensome, although you may be feeling some of that right now. Guys, this is meant to be freeing. As as I was praying through this this week, there, there were specific like people groups in our church that just kept getting put in my heart. You know, the, the first was, 
was looking at the mothers of young children. Man, I, I know this year has just been killer. It's just been so hard. I know because I, I see it in the eyes of my wife. I hear it in those that I talk to. I hear it, uh, you know, when I talk to my friends who are husbands and their wives are in the same boat. It's like, man, normally you have all these things you can do with your kids and it, it's all been stripped away and you are at home 24-7 with little kids and you love them. But man, you're tired of them. And, and what, I'm, what I'm sort of realizing is that, guys, I want you to hear me on this, mothers. This moment where you've been serving your kids, this is not like a tangential thing. This is not, man, I'm not worshiping God. No, don't you see that this is your true and proper worship that you would leverage all of your life for the sake of your kids? That every day that you're laying down your life and you're serving them, God sees you and he says, this is reasonable and this is good. He says, this is true and good and pleasing worship to the Lord. What you're doing is pleasing to the Lord and he sees you and he loves you and he's sustaining you. I've thought about the single people in our church, how much I take it for granted that, that I've got my family with me in the morning around the breakfast table. How much I take it for granted that when I sign into prayer gathering on Sunday nights that Amy's gonna be sitting right there beside me. Because I just want you to know that in these moments where you felt alone, in these moments where you felt like you haven't been able to connect, every moment that the Lord captures your heart, he is pleased with it. Every moment that you choose to serve that roommate of yours that doesn't know the Lord or that is just really difficult, he sees it and he says that is worship. He calls it, was it what it is? Every moment is worship. And I know we like to hear from God in the context of a big gathering and assembly, Guys, don't you know that it's, it's the most ordinary moments all throughout the New Testament where God really moves powerfully. It's, it's Paul on the road to Damascus. He's just going about his business. It's Philip on the, on the road next to the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, where he's walking along and the Holy Spirit says, hey, go talk to that guy. You know, it's all these ordinary moments. It's Jesus showing up at the fishing boat of Peter. He was just at his job and Jesus showed up. Did you know that Jesus can show up at your job and he's given you the gifts you need to do whatever it is he calls you to do. Guys, we're living at a point of tension for the American church and for the global church. God's weaning us off of our dependence on this large gathering. He's reminding us that we need each other. And guys, in, as he's pruning us of what we prefer and as he reminds us of what we need, he is awakening us to who we are to be. And we are to be the body, fully equipped, ready for works of service to build up the church and to glorify God. Will we step into being the body ethos? Will we step into being the body together? So this morning, as, as you take communion, very, very simple thought as you take communion. You know, when you grow weary, because doing this is hard, right? Laying down your life over and over again, it can make you feel wearied. When you grow weary, Paul starts chapter 12 like this. He says, in view of God's mercy. Guys, we don't do this on our own strength. We don't do this on our own power to thank the Lord. He says, in view of God's mercy. You know, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever driven out west. I remember the first time I ever drove out west with Amy, we're driving, and no matter which route you take, you have to endure the painful plainlands of America. You get to Kansas and it's like, uh, sorry if you're from Kansas, but man, it's like, I can't drive another mile in Kansas and you're just so tired of it. And then you get a glimpse of the mountains. Yeah. You see the mountains on the horizon that foot on the accelerator presses down just a little bit because you're ready to keep going, right? The guys, as we lean into being the body 
and all the gifts that he's given us. We don't do it on our own strength. When we grow weary, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We do all the things we were talking about in the pre-worship time. We, we start our morning with communion. We read the word. We call one another. We check in on one another. We encourage each other. We fix our eyes on the mercy of Jesus. And that is what compels us to move on. So as you commune today, as you take the bread and the cup, just pray and thank the Lord. I say, God, thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. And then as you commune, just ask the Lord, Lord, what are the ways you're inviting me to lean into being the church, to being the body? I love you, Ethos Church. I love you. And I love being on this journey with us, with you. Let's commune. Let's take the body and Jesus and commune with one another.